This episode of Burn the Haystack is sponsored, somewhat ironically, by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to thehaystack.org. The Haystack, life, culture, theology. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast all about helping you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. How are, how are you today, Josh? Are you, are you doing well there, brother? All the way over there in Hamilton, New Zealand? <laughs> I don't know how you do this so well, Jesse. <laughs> oh, it's the, I'm just speaking my mother tongue there. I do. I can't I, do it. I do can't declare, do Governor. <laughs> L- Lil Bessie, Ice T. <laughs> Does anybody even actually sound like that? I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I don't, uh, uh, actually I don't know. no. So, all right. So, just near where I live now, we just discovered recently a fantastic little um, little place called Hoops and Scoops. Um, <laughs> So they serve donuts and ice creams. That's the hoops and that's the scoops. Oh, okay, okay. And every Friday they have gluten-free donuts that are delicious and not even expensive and they're giant. Anyway, I went in there and I was so shocked. It was like four for 10 bucks, which is revolutionary wow. um, for the price of gluten-free donuts. And the lady who served me had the most beautiful like southern accent. Like, I don't know why she's here. <laughs> In a tiny little town, she was a southern belle. Uh, yeah, honestly, she sounded like that, and um, it's I don't know melodic. why. Because I mean, I'm I mean, so Hamilton's a, like the fourth biggest city in New Zealand. I live just out of Hamilton in a smaller place, and then this is an even smaller place away from where I live. <laughs> I don't know how this woman ended up there, but oh my gosh! So she's like, "You want some gluten-free donuts?" I'm like, "Yes, please." <laughs> Please, please tell me a story about about a teddy bear and a and a stuffed, you know, something to make me feel like everything's just gonna be okay. It it was great. I just felt like customer service eleven out of ten. <laughs> you know what's funny is um so at my church Mosaic we just um started something new. It's it's a preaching team and you, I don't know some churches do this, some churches don't. You kind of just like have a a, a regular rotating group of people who preach there on a regular basis. Well. That's what we did. And um, I was choosing all the people for my preaching team and I was basically just choosing the people who um, had communicated really well or had the potential. So um, in our team, we have five people. And so it's me. There are three adults. And then there's a, um, a high school student. Um, now, I'm Australian. Our high school student is Papua New Guinean. Mm. And... At the first meeting that we were all together, I had this sudden revelation and I don't know how I figured it out. All the three other adults in my team are American. Oh. And so I I had this sinking feeling. I was like, oh no, I have not even, I have not picked any New Zealanders to be (laughs) on this regularly rotating team of preachers here at Mosaic. What have you done? What have I done? It's just fine. They're all they're all very much um 
you know, one of the two of them have lived in New Zealand for like twenty plus years or ten to twenty years, something. So they've been here for a long time. But they've one of them's Texan, one of them is uh, Puerto Rican American, and one of them is, I think, I think originally from like the Midwest. So it's definitely a spread. <laughs> And I love them. They're great preachers. They're great communicators. I'm so blessed to have them. But I was like, I wonder if I just chose the people to preach because they're really good at talking. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, is that how this happened? Is Do they that- listen to this podcast, Jesse? Are they going to oh. be offended by this? Oh, I've told them already. They okay. already know. <laughs> this, will not, this will not be anything new to them. <laughs> okay. Well, today we have a very special guest with us. Um, someone who I don't know how we've left it this long to get them on the podcast, but totally. it's finally happened, which is great. Um, we have the Adventist millennial herself. The only Adventist millennial in the Adventist <laughs> church. She is the Adventist. She is the, the conglomerate, uh, to use an Adventist millennial term. Adventist millennial. <laughs> there are literally no other Adventist millennials. And if there were, she would speak for all of them. <laughs> she, mm. she, she like speaks as tribute for all Adventist millennials everywhere. <laughs> so if you want to hear who's speaking on your behalf, this is it. <laughs> this is the moment, people. The definitive moment that you've all been waiting for. The, 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 the voice of our generation, you know, the one who collates everything every every grievance every hope every dream every desire and dispenses it and disperses it for all to see <laughs> i don't know how you come up with this stuff but yes that <laughs> um but we have the one and only emily weber who um honestly she's so she is the one and only emily weber she's so unique yeah. um and that's just great <laughs> Uh, and she finds an application in almost every episode for the great controversy and is just so funny so um yeah, we were really lucky today. We we got to talk about um, comedy, uh, ministry, how they don't often go together, especially not in the Adventist world. Uh, I thought it was a really cool conversation. I thought so too. Uh, yeah, oh, no, wow. funny that. <laughs> no, we had a lot of fun today. Um, yeah, so I reckon let's just shall we just go to let's shall we just jump right into it? Should we just jump into it? Let's just jump right into it. Let's he- just jump into it. <laughs> Okay, guys, um, we're just going to jump into our conversation with Emily Weber. Um, Let's just jump into it. We'll, we'll see you very soon. Goodbye. Okay, Emily, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm very enthusiastic. I'm going to tone it down a little bit. I am, I'm excited, <laughs> but... <laughs> You're not morning show excited? You're not shock jock radio excited? Oh my goodness. I, I, you know what? I can't believe I can't believe how somebody can get on the air at like six o'clock in the morning and be All like, right. welcome, it's a great day to be alive. I'm hopped up on three cups of coffee. You know. And cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> That's the secret ingredient, you know, yeah. caffeine and cocaine. <laughs> um, hey, look, well, look, it's it's amazing to have you on the podcast. Emily, would you be able to just give our podcast audience a little bit of an intro? Who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us about your deepest and darkest secrets, um, oh. your deepest shame, all that sort of stuff. 
And your pin oh, number, perfect. please. And okay, sure, yeah. yeah. I'll just lay it all out. So my name is Emily, of course. Um, I am an Adventist and a millennial. I've grown up uh, in the Adventist church my entire life uh, in the cult of Adventism, you might say. <laughs> <laughs> Homeschooled, isolated from the world. Um, no, uh, but that is true. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I have experienced a lot of Adventist culture and love to poke fun at it and um, expose the idiosyncrasies, you could say. And so that's kind of what I do as a hobby. I have a podcast, Adventist Millennial Podcast. Um, yeah, so that's my life, just Adventism, basically. Nice. Wow. Nice. Cool. Would do, you, do you work in Adventism? Yes. I uh, I work for uh, an unnamed Adventist supporting ministry, nonprofit, um, and I like it. Um, and it feeds into my ability to make jokes about Adventism. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Your whole life is actually Adventism. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about how Adventist Millennial Podcast first came about? Did you just get on the train because everybody was making an Adventist podcast or where did, where did that come from? Because <laughs> I listened to Burn the Haystack and I was like, I have to do that. Um, no, but I can for do real. That, but better. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but actually Burn the Haystack is, th- I think, the first Adventist podcast that I listened to. Um, Yeah, I had been thinking about maybe trying to start something and I wanted to see kind of what was already out there and what the field was like. And and I came across you guys and I was an instant fan. Um, But yeah, how it got started. I mean, I watch a lot of YouTube and a lot of the stuff that I watch on YouTube, other than, of course, PewDiePie, um, is like political stuff uh, because I'm a big also political junkie but at the same time I was like I don't really have a lot to add to the conversation of politics so I wanted to start something because I am a creative and I needed an outlet but I didn't feel like I was equipped to talk in that sphere but I'm equipped to talk in the sphere of Adventism so I was like you know we we probably need more things like our generation doing sort of grassroots type stuff Um, And there's certainly a void in Adventist comedy um, (laughs) because that's not even a thing. So I was like, my skill set is and has always been um, laughing at things. And so because Adventism is what I know, they say, write what you know or whatever. Talk about what you know. It was just kind of like, if I want to do something in the creative realm, that's what it's going to be because that's what I know. So that's how it came about. Um, and I've had a lot of fun doing it, a lot of laughs. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's been a fun journey. Um, and I hope it continues. <laughs> <laughs> we hope it continues too. I think that, that is a big standout. I think from, from the first time I listened to your podcast, just how much you, you laugh at things. <laughs> yeah, I think it, it's really fun to listen along to and, and be a part of. Um, I don't know. Yeah, you don't. Because so, often, I mean, we have pretty, we have a lot of like banter with our podcast, but I wouldn't call us comedians. We're just kind of. <laughs> no, but you uh, guys are pretty funny. I mean, you guys have good banter. I, I can't banter because it's just me, but yeah. you guys <laughs> play off each other pretty well. And that's part of why <laughs> I like your podcast. Oh, thank you. But that's the thing that I think it, that's what I think makes it special because it's just you and yet you can still make it so funny. Like if it was just me, I think I would, 
I think it would become like super serious or something. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Me too. You, me yeah. too. <laughs> well, that is one of the most common criticisms I've received in my life is like people saying like, can you just get serious here? Or like, I'll be talking with someone and my automatic reaction to everything is to see what's funny about it and to laugh. And something that people always say is they will say something, I will react laughing and they'll be like, no, I'm serious. And I'm like, I know you're serious, but I'm also (laughs) laughing because it's funny. (laughs) And that just worsens the situation. (laughs) I I think that's a rare thing, you know, because it's so much of Adventism is so serious. You know, you get to... You get to like sermons or business meetings or even when it comes to the stuff from the official church and and all that sort of stuff. It's really quite, I don't know, it's very solemn. It's very sort of, oh, you know, we got to maintain an air of of solemnity or reverence or... Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, you've already alluded to that being sort of a tension point. How have you kind of navigated the, the seriousness in, as you've grown up in the church? Well, you know, actually makes it a little bit easier because everyone is so serious. It's easy to, you know, press those te- tension points in order to make a joke. And if you're the person who wants to laugh, which I am, it's really easy to do, even at the expense of every all the serious people getting mad at you (laughs) but but yeah i think comedy or or laughing is a really good way to release tension it's a really good way to um bring to light things that are harder to uh to talk about in a serious context um at least for me so i mean i i think it's it's a place that probably hasn't been mined in Adventism as much as that could be. Um, Just because, I mean, like, you hear it sometimes, people will bring out sermons of how, like, you know, God has a sense of humor, or this is how Jesus was being funny. Um, But we never really believe that, I don't think, because uh, in Adventism, especially, everything is so serious. There's not a reality of um, maybe God also has a sense of humor. Um, so yeah, that's why I enjoy laughing at people. <laughs> why, why do you think we are so serious? Like, why, why is it, why is it, is it because we have this sort of big, you know, serious message that we have to share or why do you think it is that Adventists become so serious? Yeah, I think that's part of it because we feel like the weight of, you know, eternity on our shoulders. Like, we have to go and be the ones to save the entire world, and that's really serious. But also, I think there is a a really strong sort of attitude of almost Catholic levels of guilt in Adventism. (laughs) So that, yes, shots fired. Um, (laughs) So that uh, people feel uncomfortable um, or afraid to make jokes because... For fear, basically, because we're afraid, you know, we have to be respectful, we have to be reverent, we have to uh, obey the law, even though we say we're about, we're not about works. Um, that is a sort of unspoken thing. And so I think it causes people to unnecessarily censor themselves. And also, I think, I think just personality type to be Adventist, I guess you just have to be a more serious type of person. Maybe? I don't know. That's just a, a theory. 
Interesting. Mm. Do you find it challenging um, walking the line between... Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not really a line, but making fun of things and then actually laughing at things that are funny. Do, do you know what I mean? I mean, you can make fun of things in a lighthearted way, but I mean, it's more something that should be taken serious and you're just making fun of it. But then there's right. also things that are genuinely funny that everybody should find funny, but nobody <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah, like special music sometimes. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, I think that's I think that's right. And it is something that I have struggled with because while I do enjoy laughing at everything I understand that there are some things that people have to hear in a serious way for the for them to accept it or to I guess take it seriously even though for me the fact that I'm joking about something is kind of an indication that I'm taking it seriously um Mm -hmm. for most people uh the jokes stop when they <laughs> when they become serious. So to your point, um, yes, I have like for example, if you go on my Instagram, the SDA Millennial Instagram, um, I have a series of Instagram stories where I satirize the twenty eight fundamental beliefs and basically bring out a funny point about each one that is kind of taking shots at them, um, and and I think that is shocking to people. Um, and I understand why it is, and I could see why it would be crossing a line for some people. Um, and, and I have had serious thoughts about how effective, uh, it is to potentially turn people off to what I actually have to say by offending them with the jokes that I'm making. Um, but yeah, I think that's part of why I'm doing this is to kind of find out where those lines are and if they're there. Um, Mm. so I don't. I guess I don't have the answer of where the line is, but but I'll continue pushing it until I find out. <laughs> yeah, but I think it's because, like as you said, this is this is unmined territory. This is like new territory that you're moving into, and I think this is also kind of new territory in like general Christian comedy. Like mm-hmm. I, I think of like Christian comedians like John Christ, and you know the stuff that he says. Usually, it's the same as you. It's like it's criticizing church culture, the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we say them, the sort of crazy stuff, and that sort of stuff gets just as much criticism from the general evangelical world. But I think there's also a niche there that I think people are starting to realize. Hey, we probably shouldn't take us ourselves too seriously all the time. I. I, I just wonder if Adventists are behind as we are in what, many behind? things. <laughs> 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 I don't know. I don't know. I got to say, though, like one of my favorite episodes that you that you did was last year, your compliance episode um, when you when you talked about mm-hmm. compliance committees, annual council, that sort of stuff, because mm-hmm. at that time, all the Adventist podcasts, including ours, who were doing episodes, doing our hot take on the whole issue and you right. know, Spectrum Magazine and a lot of the other publications that were kind of freaking out about it. Your episode on compliance and annual counsel was like the one episode that completely changed the conversation in my head because it was it was ridiculous. <laughs> it was <laughs> and it was so it was so funny and it was so peppered with, you know, references and and all that sort of stuff. And it just for me, when I listened to that episode, it, 
my my mind kind of changed from being oh my gosh i'm freaking out this is the worst thing in the world everybody's really serious this is terrible this is all going to be you know to oh actually let's have a laugh about it and that for me that really just changed it in my mind of going from everybody including us being super serious about it to yeah. oh actually we don't have to be necessarily terrified like the world is going to burn because somebody voted in a committee to do a thing (laughs) you know what I mean yeah yeah well I appreciate that and that is kind of the purpose of comedy for me is to sort of diffuse some of that tension and I did have some serious sort of um philosophical or rhetorical pushback on that specific article that I was going through and so um doing it in a sort of funny way um, was is a way to make up make points for me. So that was funnel, funnily enough the episode that I got the most feedback on, both mm. positive and negative. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, <laughs> I can imagine. But that. but yeah, um, I and I think even outside of just people who have more lighthearted personalities in general, comedy is a way, like you said, to just look at things from a different angle. Um, and so I think that's what's valuable about it. Mm. So is that is that something that's been a part of your your journey is, I guess, like comedy helped you understand things in a new way? Um, yeah, and it's always been a little bit intuitive for me. Um, I have this one sort of moment that I remember from my childhood of <laughs> we were... Uh, it was our family outing to some like old mansion, a uh, historical mansion that we were going to visit. And they had named their mansion Thistle Hill. And so my mom was so romanticized by this beautiful mansion with this cool name. And she's like, guys, isn't that so romantic? We should name our house too. And I was probably like seven. She's like, what should we name our house? And I said, uh weed valley and so (laughs) because intuitively i knew the irony um and so at that moment i remember everybody laughed and i remember thinking like you know this is a a good thing to do (laughs) so (laughs) so my my way of looking at things ironically comes naturally to me um but it's also something that I've intentionally tried to craft as a skill. Um, a lot of, I was a writing major in college. A lot of what I wrote was like comedy stuff. I, my senior project was a, a feature film script that was like a buddy cop comedy where this cop from the 80s, like Bruce Willis style detective comes to the future. And and so so it's something that I've tried to, to study because of, it's sort of an inherent uh, bent that I have, um, and hopefully, it will give people more opportunities, like like uh, you said, Jesse, to see things um, maybe in a way that they hadn't before. Is that sort That's of like hope. is that your philosophy? Like, if you were to say, okay, this is my philosophy of comedy or like writing, you know, media, whether you're writing or whether you're, you know, creating jokes stand-up or podcasting is that sort of what your philosophy is um or how would you describe that yeah yeah for sure um 
my philosophy would be, well, one, to make people laugh because laughing is fun. That's the number one goal. Um, because there's not, to me, there's nothing worse than, than a joke that is just an agenda. It has to be funny first. Um, and if it makes a point, then okay. But <laughs> the, the hilarity of it is always the number one priority. So my philosophy would be make it funny. And then if it makes a point extra, you know, that's extra. Cool. I think it's a. It sounds. It sounds kind of ridiculous to say. All right, the number one rule of a joke is that it has to be funny. Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, it's true, and I've heard a lot of yeah. jokes that aren't funny, and they just have an agenda behind them. Right. So. Well, and I don't know what it is um, in Australia or New Zealand or wherever you guys are at right now. Um, <laughs> here, here in the states, uh, right now, there's kind of a crisis in comedy right now like things aren't allowed to be funny they are it's more important to make a political point than to uh than to be genuinely funny and if you watch any of the late night here in the u.s you can see that really clearly and so it seems sort of obvious to make that first rule a joke has to be funny but (laughs) if you look at the landscape of comedy right now it kind of needs to be said Mm, that's interesting because I, I, I recently watched a video on the sort of shape of Saturday Night Live now and how it is. And they made that exact same point that it just seems like the political, um, the political statements that are being made while Saturday Night Live has always been kind of political in, in you know, from, you know, mocking certain presidents or, you know, presidential hopefuls, candidates, politicians and such forth that it seems more and more the landscape is is more political it's more it's more social like if you're left leaning you want to it's i don't know would you describe it as bandwagoning is that what's happening is there social pressure to say certain things or to have a stance or what what is that what is that tension yeah i i think it is um i think it is social pressure um and like you said snl has always been a little bit political in the sense that they've always made political jokes. I don't have a problem with political jokes, whichever direction they come from, if they're also funny. But but when they cease to be funny and only only remain political, then it's like um, it starts to crack, and we see that happening. And I think uh, I don't. Yeah, I think it's basically the priority in our society and our culture right now has been placed on social issues um, as the number one with everything coming secondary to that. And, and I think it's hurt our ability to really be funny. Mm. Hmm. Do you have, do you have an, do you have sort of an, yeah. Do you have sort of an idea of what that's going to do? Cause it, it seems like the implications would be pretty serious if this continues for a... Do you think it's just... Is this a symptom of the Trump era or or of the, the Me Too movement? Um, or what is that? I think it's certainly been exacerbated. I think it started a, a little bit earlier than that. Um, but yeah, I think you can see the reper- repercussions already beginning to happen. Like, did you guys follow what happened with um, the most recent... Academy Awards and and Kevin Hart having to step down and all of that stuff. Uh, people, I missed it. Some <laughs> some people. Well, you know who Kevin Hart is, right? He's this yep. 
uh, yeah, he's a he's a really popular comedian. People dug up some tweets from like ten years ago um, mm. of him making gay jokes, and that's like not okay now. Yeah. Uh, and so he was asked to step down from hosting the Academy Awards, um, and and asked to apologize. And at first he was like, "No, I'm just gonna step down, and I'm not gonna apologize because I don't feel like I have anything to apologize for." And so the Oscars just didn't have a host this year that's crazy and and these are the things that are happening i think because um because the first rule of comedy be funny has been violated um and you see this (laughs) happening a lot to comedians who even jerry seinfeld recently he he was commenting on kevin hart and saying like um there is a pressure to for comedians to um censor themselves and he says it's always been that way, but I think it's getting, it's been getting worse. And I, I don't know exactly when it started, um, but I think we can see. Uh, have you heard of Hannah Gatsby, the comedian? No. Hannah Gatsby. Yeah. Yes. I think I've watched that. She's got that Netflix stand up. Oh, did you watch it? Yeah. Uh, most of it. Yeah. Did I'm you find it funny? No. Well, not at the end. No. <laughs> I mean, there were funny bits at the beginning, and then it right, just right. sort of stopped being funny, and then just got really serious. Yeah. For most it of turned, it. And, right. Yeah. What she said was good, but it wasn't. It wasn't comedy. You right. Know? Which, uh, this is something that. Okay, so, you have different kinds of comedy and different levels of meta comedy. If she was doing that intentionally because it wasn't funny. That would then become funny to me, but <laughs> she was doing it genuinely, and so so I think this is what's going to happen: is all of the the funniness is going to be sucked out of comedy, um, mm. <laughs> just across the board. We'll see what happens. That's my fear. <laughs> yeah. So stand up stand up comedy will just become basically a monologue or like yeah, a sermon, basically like spoken word. <laughs> Some sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah liturgy i i was this i was watching interviews like um first i think i saw john cleese you know the great john cleese and and he was saying even i think it was in the 90s that he had stopped visiting universities for um yes stand up um because it was just it wasn't worth it in his mind it was people were just getting triggered and then and then i thought oh that's interesting it seems like a little bit of an overreaction but then um I heard Bill Burr say the same thing just a few years later. Um, and, and, and Bill Burr, for those people who know him, he's definitely not like he's super crass, he's super lewd, but he also is in, one of the smartest comedians, I think, today. Um, and I'm like, oh man, if Bill Burr is saying this stuff, that's bad news for the rest of yeah. us. You know? Yeah, Seinfeld won't do campuses anymore. Um, and I think. Back to the point of, of, like, the irreverence of it, even if someone does cross the line and does say things that are genuinely offensive, um, I think we have to be able to do that uh, um, because if we aren't, uh, then we just become so uh, self-censorious that we limit our ability to say things that need to be said. I agree. I agree. Mm. One of my favorite comics growing up, and this is very inappropriate, was Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr is incredible. He is absolutely incredible. And he is one of the worst. He makes <laughs> he, he intentionally has gone out to make the worst jokes that he can possibly think of 
in terms of and and it, they are incredible but I, I it's also a great thing that he was able to do that um I think he's a little bit he's become a little bit more clean in his in his later years um which is interesting um I I I, I remember listening to him on a podcast about comedians and, and about comedy and he, he said that there was one point in his career where he chose to actually make a shift from making the worst morally bankrupt jokes that he could think of the most outrageous offensive jokes that he could think of to actually he he realized at a certain point i can make people laugh because they're so outraged and also horrified but also they find it funny Mm -hmm. but can i make people laugh with clean jokes that aren't totally outrageous but are also just really funny and he made that shift i think he made that decision in and of himself this was before everything was politically correct but i found that really interesting how he made that shift from from being able to have that platform to sell out shows telling these horrible nazi jokes and just really racially (laughs) just 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 terrible and then go into this space of actually changing his philosophy of comedy into something a little bit more clean, but also just trying to be genuinely funny. I I like that. There's no social pressure on him to change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is a definitely a skill um, to be able to not just do so absurdist or obscene humor is kind of easy to do just because if your main goal is to shock people, um, the laughter comes from their shock. But if you switch over to uh, to comedy that is specific in the sense that you have to understand what they're saying and not just be shocked to find it funny, that's a lot harder to do. So, um, And the fact that he did that just because he wanted to expand his ability um, <laughs> is admirable. It's difficult. Definitely. Especially if a certain style comes easier or more naturally to you. Um, you have to really be intentional and know how the beats of comedy work to be able to be successful in a lot of different types. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm. I, I have a question. I have a question about jokes and pastors and sermons. Okay, now okay. there are a lot of pastors, I'm one of them, who watch stand-up, and we think, man, I really want to make my sermons more funny and I want to engage people, all right? And so you write a sermon about something really serious, the beast of revelation or, (laughs) you know, how we should love each other or how we should help the poor or something. That is an inherently serious topic. And we think, okay, to engage people, I'm going to try and write a few jokes into this and I'm going to try and crack them. And then you write the jokes into your sermon and some pastors, not me, this has never happened to me before, but the joke just, <laughs> the joke, the joke completely falls flat <laughs> and nobody laughs. W- what would you say to pastors that want to be funny in their sermons, but they don't know how to strike that balance between actually writing yeah. good jokes and preaching about something which is inherently serious? Yeah. That that's a great question, and because I'm not a pastor, <laughs> um, it's hard to answer. But I'll answer from the perspective that I do have, and I think one of the biggest things is you can have the best jokes in the world um, that are legitimately hilarious, but if your audience is not prepared to hear them, it's not going to land. So <laughs> here's a here's a 
horrifyingly embarrassing anecdote um, of the one and only time I bombed a stand-up comedy set uh, because it was the only time I ever did a stand-up comedy set. (laughs) 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 So uh, in college, uh, I went to one of the smaller Adventist universities, um, and there, the student uh, politics was just, you know, f- very feeble. Nobody wanted to participate in student government. Um, I thought it was hilarious uh, and a huge joke because the, like, one person who would run every year would get elected. And, and so I was like, you know, let me just run just to be funny and just to make fun of everyone. Well, nobody... <laughs> is expecting this or asking for this. So nobody appreciated it. Um, and it was, I was the only person running at first. And uh, we cut this, my brother uh, is a, like in production, video production. So we cut this promo spot for my campaign that was basically like a suspense thriller little thing about how stupid student politics was. Um, and we released that and nobody appreciated it. Um, and then they, then uh, inexplicably, uh, school administration started I- enacting all these rules about can- student uh, politics campaign stuff has to be approved before it can be, you know, whatever. I was, oh. I have no evidence that I was the person who caused this, but I probably did. Anyway, <laughs> so it came time for the pre-election speeches, um, and I wrote my speech that was basically just a comedy set um and there was nobody else running for most of the race and I was like I don't really want to win this um but I'm in it so let me go full bore into making fun of this and so at the very last minute the the current essay president got back in the race because my suspicion is someone asked her to because they saw what I was doing and they were like, heck no, this is not about to happen. Um, so I get up. She was gone uh, at the time when we were doing these speeches. So I get up. I read off my what I thought was hilarious speech, which nobody thought was funny. They all And you guys, we just talked about a few minutes ago, the milieu on campus. Everyone is so serious. Everything is so like, you know, we, we'd had sit-ins while I was in school of people who were wanting like political change and they would go and sit in the president's office and be like we demand blah 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 you know how it is on college campuses anyway so everybody has this like really serious attitude and here I am trying to (laughs) crack these jokes and everybody's just (laughs) then it came time for the Q&A and this was like the most horrifying moment of my life because I just bombed this stand-up comedy set that nobody was there for um and and they're like how can we how can we expect you to do a good job as president if you all you can do is like you know make fun of it or whatever and i was like that's the point of what i'm saying Um, so obviously i wasn't elected Um, but the moral of the story is no matter how hilarious you are if people aren't prepared to hear it they're not gonna laugh so my suggestion for pastors would be uh to make sure that or to try to put your your congregation in a place where they're expecting a joke and they're ready to hear the joke. That way, 
even if it's mildly funny, they're still willing to laugh because they know that they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. um, and then it, and then if you can reach that point and you can practice, uh, then you can probably get a little bit better. That would be mm -hmm. my suggestion. I think that makes sense because like I know in in my home, like my home church, I could get people to sort of laugh more than when I go and guest preach. Like I can use mm -hmm. the same jokes. It's essentially the same audience, really. Right. Well, not really the same audience, but the same sort of audience, but just in a different church. And, like, the same jokes will just not fly. But I think it's because they're not used to having yeah. pastors that joke about things. And I don't know. Yeah. yeah so I think that makes sense. Sort of warming people into it. Yeah. Right. It does, it does raise an interesting question in my mind, like springboarding off that. Do, do you think that people come into church like okay this is obviously a generalizing statement or a generalizing question do you think that people generally come into church expecting everything to be serious yes i mean yeah we talked about it at the beginning is, is we just have a not only an adventism across religion everyone just has kind of a serious attitude and i think nowadays there are um some preachers who who can be funny just because people see them in a really personable way and they kind of are like that um <clears throat> but yes i do think people come in with a s specific sort of serious attitude and the way you sort of break through that um is how you get them <laughs> get them ready to laugh and part of it is practice part of it is actually having good jokes and part <laughs> of it is like just wearing your audience down until they're like fine we'll laugh <laughs> 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 I can I can actually attest to that. I can attest that I've been in um, my one of the like, local churches that I pastor for about a year, and when I first got there, I was cracking jokes here, there, and everywhere, and people were just not responding. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it took about a year and a half for me to actually get to know my congregation to the point where they realize, oh, okay, when Jesse gets up on stage, yeah, he's going to talk about some serious stuff, but also it's not going to be serious all the time. He will make a few jokes. This is a fun experience, or at least yeah. I hope it's a fun experience for people. <laughs> Maybe you should like take to roasting your audience. Like, ah, <laughs> yeah. oh, ha, ha, you, you came to church with that hat on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I we think that'll, a, that'll definitely endear them to me. <laughs> start a roast me segment so you just pull up a random church member like okay everybody let's roast this one <laughs> today it's auntie carol who is 87 years old that um, would be amazing uh, did you I knit would... that sweater yourself auntie carol because it looks like you did <laughs> that's amazing i would just so go to church for that <laughs> Do you think yeah, that do you think that some people are just intention? Uh, do you think some people just have it? Like, is it is it something that you just have, or you like? Do you think that some people just don't have it, or do you think that anybody can can be funny? What do you reckon? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. Um. I do think that it's something that is innate to people, but I also think that it's a cultivatable skill, if that's a word. I don't think it is, but. It is now. Um, kind of like writing. So I've done a lot of writing. <clears throat> and writing is doesn't come easy to everyone. Uh, but people can learn it if they want. And it's the same with humor. Um, some people just naturally come by it. It's intuitive. And some people really intentionally learn it. And I think you can. And I think it's harder for some people than for other people. Um, 
like for example personalities i think you guys can probably relate to this in some way i'm a pretty introverted person so just chit-chatting you know milling working crowds and things like that doesn't come easily for me and it's something that is extremely difficult to become good at um but but you can certainly as an introvert become better at it the more you do it that doesn't mean you're ever going to be like a you know I don't know who's someone that's really gregarious, whoever you know that's that. I'll never be that, but I can certainly be better than I was when I was 13 and, like, horribly awkward. Um, so, yeah, I think anyone can learn it, but some people will always be naturally more inclined and pick it up easier than other people. And some yeah. people just don't want to. <laughs> some people are like, stop, stop making jokes. I don't, I don't want it. I'm not here for that. You know, and that's valid too, I guess, even though yeah. it's a sad life. <laughs> well, I, you know, it's interesting. I think there's almost a, in some people, I've noticed they, they, they tend to think not finding things funny is almost more spiritual. So mm -hmm. it's like they, they have these big conversion experiences and if you knew them before, they were like always up for a laugh, always doing fun things. Yeah, sure, it was sort of inappropriate or whatever, but then they become super... Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> they become maybe like super constrained yeah. by their, their new beliefs and whatever. And they, they tend to think, oh, I can't laugh at things anymore. Life is serious. You know, this is, we're in the battle. We're in the, the yeah, great yeah. controversy battle and that kind of thing. Um, we should talk about the great controversy too, because you talk about that a lot. So it'd be interesting yeah. to bring up, but yeah. And I think that they get, yeah, they, they almost think that laughter is, was like a sin or something almost. Like seriousness as a virtue kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. And and it also comes back to the whole um, respect. Uh, I've had a couple of comments from people like when I poke fun of uh, the church or leaders in the church or stuff. I've had people say to me like, you know, I, I could see why you're doing it, but we, sh we should just be respectful to our leaders or whatever. I don't think it's appropriate to like drag people. Um and I, I really, really struggle with that attitude, <laughs> partly because yeah. I'm just a really rebellious person and partly because I don't respect anyone. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but like, yeah, that is a, a prevalent attitude. The more uh, serious you are, the more respectful you are. Um, and I don't know. I guess that's one of my flaws. I just don't, <laughs> I can't get on board with it. No, but I think mm. we've constrained. I think we've we've probably conflated respect with just speaking well of somebody all the time, right. or being really serious about things all the time. I I, I don't know. I, I feel like I I feel like it's also possibly a control technique. You know, like uh -huh. if we're just saying you have to be respectful to your leaders all the time, never speak anything bad about them. That you're basically saying you're not allowed to criticize you're not because yeah. that's what you're doing you, you are critiquing you are criticizing you're saying hey i don't necessarily believe that what this particular leader is doing is correct or uh, you know i just don't agree with them and like when you say oh well you just have to be respectful just just be respectful don't say anything bad about them you're basically just saying well, just shut up and sit down yeah. and yep. mind your manners i 100 percent agree with that that it is a form of control and i think uh brace yourselves co going into the great controversy i think it's 
part baked into our theology um that that we see god as that way um using we don't maybe see it consciously but i think part of our theology is that um that aspect of control where god requires such and such behaviors from us um which in reality is just a form of control um and so that bleeds over into the rest of our lives i think can can you please unpack that a little bit <laughs> we need elaboration I'm, I'm getting i'm getting some serious 1984 vibes off this i don't know if that's part of it but please elaborate well no like what exactly what you were saying is uh we shouldn't say some things, we shouldn't make some jokes, we shouldn't do A, B, or C uh, out of respect, but really it's not about respect, it's about obedience. Um, Mm. And I think that's a lot of times, not just Adventism, but Christianity and many religions, um, see a dictatorial God that requires us to do things because he says to do them, um, and, and that turn, well, it's really what the great controversy about is about the, what Satan is accusing God of being unnecessarily arbitrarily controlling, um, is what we inadvertently actually portray God as a lot of times, I think. Um, and, and I think the way that we react to comedy is a little bit indicative of that. Hmm. So if that. So if you're saying that that's the narrative, what's what's the counter narrative then? If if that's the narrative that you see as being somewhat enslaving or you know dictatorial, what mm-hmm. do you see as being the counter narrative that can pro- provide liberation for you know lack of a better term? Right. Um, the counter narrative is that Lucifer has been. Ex- extremely more successful than we remnant Adventists believe want to believe he's been in putting forward this idea of God and that we've bought into. And the counter narrative is God wants us to ask those spicy questions. He wants us to make those edgy jokes. Um, like I said earlier, to find out what is actually true. Where is the line here? Where Where does it go from being an interesting point to a point that doesn't really make sense. But in order to find that out, we have to ask those questions. We have to make those jokes. We have to say those things. And if we don't, um, out of fear, then we'll never find it out. Um, And so I think the counter narrative is just don't be afraid. Don't Don't be afraid to do the things that uh, I guess our taboo. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because mm. yeah, like we were saying before, I guess that comedy becomes a way to talk about things and make light of issues that aren't being talked about in any other way. So it's it's almost like a, a process of unveiling things, but in a, mm-hmm. a safer way. Um, obviously, it can be used for bad purposes too. Um yeah. Well, what you, so what you are saying, you, what you are saying is very, I, I would, I would assume, is very confronting for some people. Oh like, yeah, for they sure. They would hear that and be like, "What? We're just going to let the floodgates out? Yeah, you know, like you can do anything. No, we can't do that." <laughs> well, and, and like I said, it's to find out where the lines are. 
Um, not that we should do, can do anything and that we should do anything, um, but we should be able to ask any question for sure. Um, and, and I think that oftentimes we're unable to ask the questions that we need to ask. Um, and it makes us more fearful than we should be. Um, and I think ultimately live less joyful lives than we could just because we're crippled by fear. Um, you know, I think there was a point that I was going to make and it's escaped me. Um, oh, uh, what you were saying about control earlier, one of the, one of the frustrations I've had with my podcast, because it is so confronting to people, um, is convincing people to speak with me um, publicly because people are afraid of the consequences. Um, and I think that reveals uh, the, the fact that we do have that culture of control, whether we realize it or like to admit it. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. interesting that the culture of control because it's not like you have Big Brother looking over your shoulder, you know, and the the thought police are going to show up at your door and and cart you away. But at the same time, we see this, we do see this culture in perhaps what's said and what's maybe even what's not said or what's not done, where like one day you might be, uh, you know, totally in the in crowd, and then the next day you're kind of excluded or you know you you kind of relegated to the corner. Um, because you said something or you did something that wasn't quite, it's, it's a very, it's a very, it's a very weird, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this. I don't think I've done anything controversial enough to actually be (laughs) yet (laughs) to be put in the naughty corner, but it it does, I don't know, like even Josh and I, you know, in our, in, in burn the haystack, you know, there have been topics that we've been like, oh, we, we need to talk about this or an aspect of a topic that we need to talk about, but we just like, if we talk about it, what's going to happen? You know, are mm-hmm. we going to get mm-hmm. are we going to get a stern email or a stern letter or you yeah. know somebody? And you just don't know. Like it's yeah. it's very it's it's like a it's like a wild west where you can talk about <laughs> some things, but you you anything else, it's like the sheriff might turn up at your door yeah. and be like, yeah, no, you can't do that. And and because that is the reality, um, I I do it. I do understand um, that people are fearful sometimes to broach certain topics, and I can't blame them for that because it's true that there are real-world consequences sometimes to the things that we say. Um, so I don't begrudge anyone for, for that. But I do think at the same time, in order for us to start to change that, some people have to be willing to say what they want to say regardless of what happens to, to them to be the sacrificial lamb <laughs> exactly regardless of who whose bonnet gets a bee in it um and surprisingly enough people always ask me when they see the stuff that i do like oh do you get like a lot of pushback and stuff um uh, because we have that self-censorious culture i think the people who don't like it aren't willing to say anything to me about it usually. Mm. So I suspect that there are a lot more people who don't like it out there than I know, just because, you know, they don't watch it or whatever. They just talk about it amongst themselves, but but they don't actually confront me, which, you know, not not to be confrontational, confrontational, but sometimes I do wish people would say when they take issue, um, just so yeah. I can know where other people are coming from. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's how we it's how we learn and grow. To be honest, that's yeah. 
the one thing that I probably get the most frustrated with with church life is that people talk to each other instead of actually having mm-hmm. proper conf- confrontational yeah. discussions yeah. and building each other up. Like it, yeah, uh, probably another discussion for another day. <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah it, it really irks me. Um, I mean, we we just talked about this with the Avondale barn dance issue. I don't know, Emily, if you oh, you yeah. saw what this um, publication did, but they've slandered a whole bunch of university. They slandered Southern University. For um, having like a swing dance sort of thing, Ooh. and then they went on this publication spree. I won't name them. We talked about them in, in our episode. You, if you know about it, you know you know they've who had we're enough talking publicity about. from us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they they went on published like two or three articles about how like Avondale has this barn dance where they you know play Sweet Home Alabama and Coldplay's Yellow and they you know they do it's a barn dance. It's it's it's. It's a barn dance. I don't know what to tell mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. And instead of like reaching out to Avondale and talking about it, they published all these articles and, you know, their their crowd really, really got on board. Oh, this is terrible. Avondale's terrible. It's the devil. And and the reaction from Avondale and from students was actually really encouraging because they made a really concerted effort to reach out to this publication to try and get in contact to have this discussion and there was a little bit of discussion over it, but I suspect that not much is going to really change. It's still going to be the same people publishing the same, I think it's rubbish, and having their supporters, you know, really um, fill that echo chamber with, you know, the the music of agreement, you know, how terrible yeah. everybody else is. Yeah. yeah. And that that is a huge struggle, the echo chambers, P- the people's unwillingness um, across the board to sort of dialogue with opposing viewpoints. Um, And and it's a frustration. But, you know, we wouldn't have to have those conversations if people would just stop doing satanic stuff. (laughs) Fair enough. You heard it here first. (laughs) Um, All right. I want to shift gears for a little bit for the last 10 minutes. Um... 10-minute rapid-fire round. No, I'm kidding. No, um, <laughs> no. I, w- I want to talk about, I-, I guess, a bit of visioneering for the future. Um, how do you think How do you think churches and, and ministries in future, like h- how would you see comedy fitting into our local churches more in a better way, in a yeah. health- healthier way? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> Thanks, I've been thinking about it for 50 minutes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Um like I said earlier, it has to do with audience, too. You can't foist something on people who don't really want it. Um, yeah. But I think younger people are wanting something different than what we have. What that looks like, I think, is a little bit nebulous in many people's minds still. Um, so maybe it's our wide open door to just, like, shove it in there for them. Um, <laughs> but... But, yeah, that's a good question, and I don't, I don't really know the answer to it other than um the people who like comedy and want it to be part of our experience as religious people um should start coming out of the work woodwork and (laughs) we'll see what happens i guess uh i mean do we need to have some official like now is the comedy section of our church service. (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know how that would go over but but certainly just the a more general attitude of um, levity, I guess. Uh, I hope 
becomes part of the culture how how that begins to happen whew, your guess is as good as mine yeah i mean i was thinking uh, we've had some like we had um stanley pomianowski on here recently who's made the ellen verse the world series mm-hmm. um you know, which is funny, and like we haven't had John Christ, but like the stuff he does is funny, and obviously the stuff you, the videos you make as well for your channel, um, they're funny. And even Matt Lucio started a YouTube channel with his church, which is it's Matt mm-hmm. Lucio, it's hilarious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking, like, it would be great to even see more of that stuff being just shown in more local churches, I guess. Yeah. To help start breaking the ice, but yeah, I don't know where you start with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a good idea, and I think truthfully that that is the real starting place is to just have more people creating that content um and and sort of making it more acceptable i guess um and i guess that's why we're here (laughs) we're trying to pioneer it do you think it could also be like a like a a low-key evangelism tool like not in the not in the daniel revelation sense but i i don't know i don't know any mormon like comedians or like any jehovah's (laughs) witnesses comedians because I think that a lot of the time we kind of get lumped into that that sort of the weird churches. Sort right, of, yeah, sort the of cultish category. ones. Yeah, the kind of cultish, like Seventh-day Adventists. What are you again? What are you? Yeah. Are you the weird ones? You know, That's Waco, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think that could like, I don't know, could it improve our image? Like, could it make us more legit? Yeah, I mean, and this is another struggle that I've had. Um, because things that are branded as Christian and especially Adventist automatically sort of lose credibility. So something that I've wondered is, do we need to have Adventist representatives doing things in the culture sphere, but aren't Adventist as in, Mm. in, in the sense of, you know, that's not how part of how we brand ourselves. Um, or is it possible to improve our brand, like you said, by being competent in the cultural sphere and associating that with ourselves. Um, I don't know which would be more effective because as of yet, we haven't been successful either in either uh, approach. Uh, so, so I don't know the answer to that. My suspicion is that probably the, the entering wedge, you could say, um, <laughs> would be to, to have... Adventists who are culturally competent but aren't known for being Adventists as a first mm. step, um, and then and then maybe uh, build from there. But I mm. but I'm not sure on that. No, I think that I think that's good. I think that resonates. Like we talked about this with with Stanley, and he shared uh, C.S. Lewis quote that really resonated with him and, and me, um, which was basically you know C.S. Lewis saying. We don't need more Christian writers. We need more writers who are Christian. Yes, exactly. And th- and that's something that I I have kind of struggled with with my own content because when I started, um, I had this idea that it would be a little bit evangelistic because I see a huge, not huge, but I see a growing um, openness to religious things in culture um, and uh, people who are a little bit more willing to entertain um, in a post-secular social culture like we have in the United States. Uh, and so I see an evangelism opportunity that's not being capitalized on. Um, and by branding myself very strongly Adventist, I wondered if that's really uh, put a handicap on my audience. Mm. Um, 
and I don't know. Uh, there's kind of two two demos that I'm aiming at: disillusioned Adventists who are kind of upset with our organization, and uh, the unchurched. And I don't know that I'm effectively uh, being appealing to the, that second demographic. Mm. What do you guys Interesting. think? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it, the it, I think yeah. the millennial brand actually helps you a lot. You know, just calling something the something millennial mm-hmm. is a kind of, I think, it, yeah. It's a trope, but. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, it automatically is identifiable to people, um, which is kind of what I wanted. But but I also don't want to pigeonhole myself too hard. <laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those things that maybe has like cultural relevancy for like the season that we're in, in like world history right now. Yeah. Because I think, you know, maybe 10, 15 years down the track, m- millennial will probably not be a recognizable <laughs> or useful, possibly. I don't know. It may be. I don't know. I'm, right. not, I'm not a futurist. But um, I, I think as with anything, uh, if, you, if we're really serious about like improving our craft, we have to just continually evolve and grow and change. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, you know, w- what the future is for Adventist Millennial, what the future is for Burn the Haystack. But I know that if, you know, if we're going to continue to get better, we're going to have to change and grow over time. And who knows what that might look like. That's exciting and scary at the same time. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, as things are, we're kind of like the, the blockbuster or the Kodak of churches, you know, we just mm. stamp ourselves out because we're not not willing to change with the times. Um, but that is a difficult thing to do. Um, and and the more we're able to realize how to do that, I think uh, the better off we'll be. <laughs> but it's easier mm. said than done also. Definitely. Definitely. Well, hey, uh, Emily, uh, we would so appreciate having you on. Would you just be able to uh, tell all of our audience who doesn't already know you and love you and follow you and listen to all your podcasts, all about Adventist Millennial, where they can listen to you, get in touch with you, all that sort of stuff? Sure. Uh, So you can find me on YouTube and Facebook are where my videos mostly are. Um, Just search for adventist millennial my podcast is the adventist millennial podcast which you can find on itunes google play stitcher wherever you find your podcasts um and then i also have an instagram and a twitter uh at sda millennial on both of those um and you can find some other cool stuff happening mostly on instagram uh yeah and shoot me an email anytime and i look forward to hearing from anyone All right, guys, let's jump right out of that. Jump out of it. <laughs> and let's jump in to the outro. <laughs> We're spiking so hard. Oh. Yeah, I think I've ruined my microphone. But. Gosh. Well, it wasn't. Oh, uh, that was a great conversation. I, I love that. That was so much fun. Sometimes we, I think, like, we try to have fun almost every episode, but it does get a little bit serious sometimes. I just enjoy sometimes having something just purely fun. And I love talking about comedy. So that was great. And Emily's great. Yeah, there were some really interesting insights. I didn't. We went kind of places I didn't think we'd go talking about comedy. Um, so I've just got Nora on my lap. My cat just decided to curl up on my lap right now. I'm going to take a photo of this and put it on social media right. so you guys can see. But um, 
yeah, it, it was, um, I don't know. I think I was really cool talking about that stuff with Sunday Night Live. Oh, Saturday Night Live, sorry. <laughs> SNL, whatever SNL, it's called. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, and like, I don't know how the first rule of comedy should be that it should be funny. <laughs> I, I just found that actually so interesting in the end. I was like, this is actually so true. And I think it had a lot to say about um, comedy in our church, I which agree. was cool. I agree. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. So look, you guys, if you don't already listen to Emily's podcast, Adventist Millennial, it's a little bit more of a shorter form conversation than what we like to do. Um, So if you just want something that's short and snappy and fun and you'll definitely get a laugh out of, uh, I would 100% recommend that you you check out uh, Emily uh, on all the the links that she gave. Mm. We'll, We'll include them in the description. But yeah, definitely worthwhile checking out. Yeah, absolutely. And for all things Burn the Haystack, make sure you go and check out burnthehaystack.org. You can find links to our podcasts on various different podcatching apps. You can find our blog. You can find whatever you need. It is all there and even a way to get in contact with us. And you can send us all of your feedback because we love to hear from you about these things. It's just great. <laughs> and and, um, and also if you are if you are new around here we would love it if you would subscribe really i only listen to the podcasts that i subscribe to i really intend to listen to a lot of podcasts i like to listen to podcasts but i find that if i don't subscribe to them i don't really listen to them uh and if you haven't uh if you have subscribed we would love it if you would leave us a review on itunes or wherever else you listen to your podcasts love you <laughs> So that is Josh, Jesse, and my cat, Nora, out!